0: This is the Trout Bitten Podcast.
1: Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Trout Bitten. Yeah. Troutbitten, Bitten. Trout Bitten. It's about trout.
0: Wild trout. This is Trout Bitten. This is the Trout Bitten Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. My name is Dominic Swentoski. I'm the owner of Troutbitten and the author of Troutbitten.com. All right, here we are picking up where we left off with this critical nymphing concept skills series. These concepts are all about the choices we make on the water. Why we might choose a certain style of nymphing, tie on a different fly, target a certain water type, or aim for a certain part of that water column. When trout refuse our flies, what do we do? We make changes, right? But why do we change? And what do we base our decisions on? That's what this season, these critical nymphing concepts, are all about. So tonight, for this episode, Austin and I are here to walk through the idea, the concept of having more influence or less over the flies, meaning who's in charge of the nymph, you or the river? And do we want to have more influence or less over the nymphs? What looks more natural? Which choice, which method, Fools more trap? So I hope you listened to this first episode in the skills series from last week. It's a good rundown of where we've been and where we're going with this complex topic of nymphing. Now, let me point this out. You don't have to approach nymphing this way. Fly fishing does not have to be complicated. It's true. You can go fishing, tie on a fly, get in the water and see what happens. Fly fishing is only as complicated as you want it to be. And it's pretty easy to keep things simple with fly selection, gear, leaders, and everything else. But the truth is, most anglers realize pretty quickly that trout fishing, especially on a fly rod, offers a wonderful complexity. The details matter. So when you pay attention to the kinds of things we're talking about in this skill series, and when you commit to improving your approach and your technique, big results follow. For so many of us, for probably most of you listening, that's where long-term interest and satisfaction comes in. That's what keeps us in the fly fishing game for a lifetime. Hey, one more thing that we'll probably point out in all seven episodes of this series. The nymphing concepts in this series are for all styles of nymphing, whether that's with a floating line, a nine-foot leader, and in an indicator, whether that's with a standard mono rig, whether you're euro nymphing with a micro leader, or whatever else. Every one of these concepts apply. These ideas apply whenever and however you're fishing nymphs. In another skills series, season two, with the nine essential skills of tight line and euro nymphing we specifically covered the techniques, the motions, the mechanics of good casting and good drifting. I'd say that's what people focus on the most, those mechanics. It's usually about, hey, how do I get this fly in the water and make a presentation? So we've already covered your baseline or essential skills for that style of nymphing. With this series, though, we're looking beyond that baseline. These concepts are how we answer our own questions while fishing. What should I change or how should I adjust to this situation on the water? All right then, let's get going. Here's my friend and co-host for this season, Captain Austin Dando. Buddy? I get the captain this week. We're trying different things out every week. We'll see. (laughs) Captain Austin. What am I captain of? I don't know. You tell me. Captain? A, A ship. Hmm. Some ship. Okay. You spent some time, you know, close enough to the ocean, didn't you?
1: The USS What?
0: <laughs> Your ship captain. This ship is sailed. What else can you be you be a captain of if it's not a ship?
1: Uh obvious. Obvious <laughs> things. Captain
0: obvious. <laughs> All right. <laughs> That's
1: good. What else do you want
0: from me? All right. <laughs> captain Comedy. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. Hey, uh, before we dig into our topic, here's a good question that I get a lot. So let's talk this one through, buddy. Mm -hmm. What's the best way to learn nymphing? Indicator style first or tight line style
1: first? Mm. I guess uh, to me, it would kind of depend on what your goal is. Mm. If if you want to learn tight line style, let's say that's your ultimate goal. For me, I often recommend and, and found it easier myself to starting with an indicator style, no whether that be uh, with a bobber or with a yarn indicator, something that I could go, or even a uh, a dry fly, a dry dropper, something I could go tight to on the surface before having to try to find contact with nymphs. Ah. So if I was casting a, a bobber or a uh, a Dorsey, I could keep lying off the water, stay pretty close to being tight with that flotation device, and uh, still get a clean drift beneath and then gradually taking that uh, device away to the point where I'm just only in touch with the flies. Mm, you're
0: cheating, though. You're going to confuse people, too, because you're combining tight line and indicator. You're saying you're trying to
1: be <laughs> tight to the indie. Okay, well, let's call it high stick uh, indicator nymphing.
0: Yeah, I know. So that's a common You could have thing a fly
1: to... line out. You could mm. have a fly line still involved mm. in a, a regular well, 9 foot or 12 foot leader, but the idea is that you have that line up off the water and close mm. enough to you that it's not dragging your indicator around.
0: Well, as we know, you had the fly line there. That That's really going to sag a lot. And now you can't really approach a lot of water types and keep that line up. <laughs> that's my answer, guy. <laughs> I'm just saying.
1: Take it or it leave is. it.
0: That's a common thing to us. We're going to talk about that. I think it's episode five, you know, the advantages of a suspender, some kind mm-hmm. of flotation device, as you said. My answer would be to tight line first. If we're just talking about there's tight line nymphing and then there's indicator nymphing, not, not necessarily combining them like you're cheating and doing, um, <laughs> then I would say, I tell people all the time, learn to tight line First, I say, learn to cast dry flies. I, I don't like seeing people Agreed. go straight to nymphs for a variety of reasons we won't get into here. But hmm, the main reason, I guess, is because fishing, learning to fish drys, teaches you to cast all the good things that, you should probably be doing even as you're nymphing. If you put people right on to a system that has weight, they start to use the weight in any way. I, I find it more complex, actually, to use a nine-foot leader, a floating fly line, and an indicator, and then a fly out there or a split shot and a fly. you got a lot of things you're trying to control. But if you start with a tight line, you're controlling the leader, but mostly the weight at the end. And there's kind of one or just one or two things you're controlling instead of two. Or three or four.
1: (laughs) It's a valuable point, and I can see where you're coming from. See that? You want to keep arguing? or I still don't agree, though. Should we move on? (laughs) I think that's more foreign than casting something with weight in a fly line. Gotcha. That's how I learned. That's how I transitioned, so it makes sense to me.
0: All right, Captain. I think if
1: I tried to go back the other way, it wouldn't have have, uh, transferred as well.
0: Fair enough. We don't have a consistent answer for all these people who ask that.
1: You can do it either
0: way. You can that's the beauty of the whole so thing. If you do it Dominic's way, you're you're wrong. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Just kidding. So before we turn this into a whole other podcast, let's get to the topic. Here's a quick reminder that these skill series episodes are supposed to be short, Captain Austin. <laughs> Fine. All right, let's do it though. Let's move into it. Are we going to have more influence or less over the nymphs? That's the choice. That's the concept. We ha- we get to decide that. No matter what system we're using, more influence or less over the nymphs. That's our topic. What do we even mean by that? Let's start there.
1: Sure. Kind of let's start out at the very beginning when the nymph enters the water. Mm. Uh, We got to consider things like what dictates the path of that nymph. Uh, Is it going to be the river? Is it going to be the currents? Is it going to be the riverbed? Or is it going to be us? Is it going to be our rod tip? Um, That's kind of the the main driving point that we're going to discuss. Yeah, we can very much dictate
0: where the fly is going to go. The fly, the nymphs, the leader, we can have very precise control over that whole situation. We need to. Even if we decide that we want the river to make a lot of the decisions about the path of the fly, we still need to have control over as many elements as we can. But anyway, we have this choice. We can have more influence over the fly or less. We're going to talk about how, um, but the concept here holds across styles. And as you said, We want to make that choice before we even start fishing. We want to decide how much control, how much influence we want to have over the path of that fly, those flies, the fly and the split shot, whatever it is,
1: you know? So if we're going to decide how we're going to do that, maybe we should consider, well, which way is going to look more natural? Yeah. Um, You know, we've got to acknowledge that we're still aiming for that unaltered dead drift. We said that before in the first episode, the dead drift is the baseline and then we can deviate from there.
0: That's the thing. On a dead drift, we always want to be thinking, what is that? I think most people understand, for the most part, what we're aiming for is a drift that is unaltered by us, by the attached tippet, and by the leader, and by our rod, or by our mending, or even by the indie necessarily. If we're really aiming for a dead drift, we don't want to have much influence then over that fly, right? You would think then, that it looks more natural. If that's the goal, the dead drift, you would think then that letting the river make the decisions would make everything would allow everything to look more natural. Right? Sure. Doesn't that make sense?
1: Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Because if you consider any food form, let's say a nymph barreling down the the water mm. or swimming gently, it's going to be moving and tossed about by the, the will of the current, mm, not by right. its own strength. And that's that's when you get the the drift that does look unnatural. It's when you're trying yep. to fight that.
0: Right, I say if we want to be in one lane, then why not just let it go down one lane? Like, allow it to happen. And that's having less influence. And so we would think that having less influence over the
1: fly should look more natural. And the influencing is such a delicate balance mm. because it may sound like when we when we use that word influence, uh, it means that we're making dramatic shifts or mm. uh, there's a, a really big impact we're having. And what mm. we're trying to say is, those nymphs are still going to be traveling with the riverbed, but we're going to do our best to help kind of direct them and, and guide them in those natural paths. But mm-hmm. sometimes due to our own equipment, due to our own uh, circumstances in the river, we can easily allow to get out of that path.
0: Right on. If we're thinking about just allowing the fly to go down one lane, a good example then is a dry fly. When you see the dry fly on top, you're trying to allow that dry fly to go down one lane, start in one lane, end in one lane, like you were talking about last week, Yeah, the lanes of a pool. Uh-huh. <laughs> start in lane one, end in lane one. Yeah, And that's what a drive fly does. And the drive fly drift is best. It looks most natural when there's no influence from us, when there's no or limited, right. very limited influence from the tippet. It just goes down one lane. And so you would think, you would think that having less influence would allow the nymph to look more natural, right? But here's where the problem comes in. It's weight. Mm. Weight is what it's going to come down to. There's always weight involved. Obviously, there's no weight involved on the dry fly, and you're only dealing with the surface current. That's it. But if you want to fish underneath the water, you have to add weight. That could be a tungsten beaded fly, yes, and it could be a split shot. We're going to talk about weight more in another podcast coming up. But you have to have that weight as soon as you're going to go under the water. And then the weight wants to fall, right? Right on. And if we don't influence it, if we don't help it along, then it's just going to fall to the bottom. I've brought this up a lot. We've talked about it on podcasts. I've said this in videos recently. This is a key concept to nymphing.
1: Yeah. And I think that's important to point out too. That's an excellent example of what we're trying to say uh, in terms of influence. Because if we did just let those flies go uh straight to the bottom, they will drop on their own. Even if they're not very heavy, they will still drop to the river bottom without any of our influence. Yeah. Uh which is simply just directing the flies down the best path we can.
0: Mm. And there's different ways we can influence it too. We talked a lot last week about staying in one lane. We can also influence the fly's speed. We can allow it to fall and yeah, we can influence point. its depth then On some systems, not all systems. You know, on a tight line, you certainly can. We're going to talk more about that toward the end of this podcast. But anyway, it's the weight. The weight is always going to influence those flies. We would love to just have a fly that was, I don't know, neutrally buoyant and could be truly able to just uh, drift along with the river, like you said, just kind of tossed around and just going along with the other stuff, like a small piece of a stick. Right? I mean, that'd be great. We can't do that. There has to be weight in our system. And when you start to realize that, you have to kind of surrender to that
1: concept. Right. And I think what that's going to tie into there, and the reason we don't have a fly that's just neutrally buoyant or a fly that can just drift along the riverbed uninfluenced is because it comes back to what the flies are attached to. Yeah. And it's attached to tippet. And, and tippet's also another unavoidable influence over the fly mm-hmm. that's directly related to what we're talking about yeah. right now.
0: Yeah, you have to have that connection, right?
1: Or else you're not fishing. You're just throwing stuff in the water <laughs> and saying, go ahead, and eat
0: it. Go ahead, and eat it, fish. I don't. Know. That's just chumming. <laughs> I don't know. Right? You have to be connected. Right. So the tippet or the leader is always influencing the flies. It is. You can have everything in one lane. Right. You really do. You want to have everything in one lane. That's why it is the first thing we talked about last week. If everything can be in one lane, then at least everything can kind of go the same speed. We try to do that as much as possible, but that tippet is always going to influence the flies, just like the weight. It's going to drag it around a little bit. If part of the tippet is in a faster lane and another part of the tippet is is in a slower lane, things are going to be trying to move at different speeds and kind of fighting each other.
1: Yeah, we've talked about keeping things in one lane, but especially if you're fishing two flies, mm. making sure those pieces of tippet end up in the same lanes. Because when we're saying, "Hey, a, a faster current seam could be inches away from a slower one," if your flies are in two different places, that's how you're going to get that unnatural, non dead drift uh, a presentation. Uh, the other thing that uh, should be considered here, and you just touched on that, is that rivers are not just parallel lines. Like yeah. we talked about it last episode, no swimming the pool. swimming pool is a is a dramatized example of yeah. the uh, the theory but water is crashing against rocks it's going down mm-hmm. gradients it's going around riverbends it's always mm-hmm. getting broken up but the paths still do remain and you have to follow those paths from top to bottom when niffing, but it's not going to be a straight line and we have to learn to get comfortable with being able to move actively and dynamically through those riffles and runs or whatever it may be that's nice that's really its own
0: concept what the river is doing down there In pocket water, just think of pocket water with, I don't know, 20 rocks out there, prominent rocks breaking something up. We always have to keep that in mind. There is so much complexity underneath that we can't read. Absolutely. So you might think that, you know, rigging up your system so that you do have more influence so you can steer things around would be the best way. Oh, it's easy to make the mistakes. Sure. So then you think that, okay, I'm going to allow the river to have more influence. But then things kinda get ripped around because you don't have, you know, the the real control. There's no perfect answer here. We're not saying that anything's perfect. To tie the best flies, you need the best materials. With decades of commercial fly tying experience, Fooling Mill understands what it takes to tie a great fly. Over the past several years, they've worked hard to source and prepare a range of fly tying materials that will elevate your experience at the Vice. Fooling Mill fly tying materials have arrived with a range of over 1400 products. You'll find the staples like marabou, bucktail, and rabbit sonker strips. You'll also find CDC, stripped peacock quills, 12 dubbing ranges, synthetics, chenilles, yarns, and wools. All Fulling Mill materials come in an extensive range of colors that are consistently dyed. So what you receive from them tomorrow will be the same color next year. Their materials go through a rigorous quality control process. So before they're packaged and shipped out, you can be sure they're up to the highest quality standards. Ask for Fulling Mill fly tying materials at your local dealer or find them online at fullingmill.com. For over a decade, Smith Creek has helped anglers just like you to free up your hands, hold your gear within easy reach, and keep our waters clean. Smith Creek's family of patented accessories are tested guide tough and backed by good old fashioned customer service. Crafted from rugged materials like anodized marine grade aluminum and UV resistant nylon, Smith Creek products are hand assembled with pride and built to last. To stay up to date on their latest specials and new product releases, be sure to follow Smith Creek on Instagram at smithcreeknz. Quality you can depend on from a brand you can trust. That's Smith Creek. To wrap up the tippet point, the tippet's always in control. Yes. So there are a couple things we can do. I, dude, I'm not an infant with one X. you know? Right. It's, it's too thick. It is going to dominate the presentation, let's say. If somebody goes clear to eight X, oh, that tippet isn't gonna have nearly the influence over that fly and be pushed around by currents and even crossing through currents. It's not gonna uh it's not gonna be as consequential as one X. That's correct. So so yeah, I mean everything's gonna be a trade off. I don't like the nymph with eight X. I choose four and five X usually, but our buddy Bill chooses like three and four X usually. And plenty yeah, of people three X
1: is the standard for Bill.
0: Right. But plenty of people, you know, do 6X, 7X, 8X, and there are good reasons for that. One of the things right there is if if you know you have to cross seams, which I, I will never really surrender to that. I'm, I'm always going to try to make it so that I can get everything in one seam. But uh-huh. if you had to, for some reason, I'd go thinner on the tippet.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And this point ties really well back into the idea of weight, the concept of weight. Mm-hmm. Because when you fish that thicker tippet, you inevitably will likely need more weight to counteract the resistance and the the mm. drag that that thicker diameter tippet material will have on those flies. If you try to cast really lightly weighted flies on 1X, the influence of the, the tippet is going to be so substantial that you're not going to be able to do what you want very well. Yeah. So it is that delicate balance. We're not going to fish 8X, at least you and I don't prefer that. You certainly can. And you can fish lighter flies with less influence. Mm-hmm but you get to be a little less versatile at the same time. You have to sacrifice something, yeah.
0: That's a good way to put it. And like I said, the 1X, for example, would just dominate the presentation. It's bossing everything around too much. That's our reason. I don't decide to go down to 6X, you know, because I think the trout are leader shy. Right. For me, it's about allowing those very small and lightweight flies to have some motion and not be dominated by 2X, 3X, 4X, or even 5X maybe.
1: Yeah, I think at the core of fishing with a thinner diameter, that's uh, the best advantage.
0: All right, so along these same lines, I run into this concept a lot. This is kind of an old school idea. Like, hey, why don't we have slack to the nymphs Uh, under an indicator, for example? Doesn't slack under the water let the river then make the decisions? Can't slack help the fly then look more natural? You know what I mean?
1: I do know what you mean. Yeah. I'll say this. Manage slack can be great. Yeah, um, That's what we're aiming for when we talk about tracking flies. We'll talk more about that in episode four, I believe. But if you were to picture, picture your flies, your tippet entering the water, there's a, a large difference between a small amount of freedom to a fly, let's say six inches mm. of movement versus two or three feet of piled up line down there, just getting oh, yeah. swished down the water, uh, all at the will of the river probably not ending up in the same place because it's tumbling around. Yeah. That's not controlled or managed. When we can manage it, then it can be great. Like
0: you said, getting swirled around, like extra slack or lots of slack under there just gets ripped around by currents. It becomes very unmanageable. You lose strike detection and you're going to lose the dead drift too because again, it's going to get pulled around yeah. by the currents. This is, a, I mean, it's a common way that people fish under an indicator. Throw it out there. You know, you're mending a lot and right. you're trying to introduce slack under the indicator now there are good ways to do that but you you want to understand what you're doing when you're doing it right yeah i think what we've talked about a lot is slipping contact when you said managed slack that's what it makes me think of like you said four six inches maybe even two just backing off Mm -hmm. just backing off Mm -hmm. a little Mm -hmm. bit of the contact and certain systems set you up and allow allow you to do that uh better than others but this slack to the nymph concept under an indicator—that I'm saying I encounter it a lot—it's a mistake. I'm gonna—I'm ju- just gonna say I think it's a mistake because it's another dry fly concept that falls apart when you're fishing underneath. I mean, it makes sense to—we see it, right? We see it on a dry fly. Hey, let me mend and give that dry fly slack. Literally, give it slack on. The, but I'm putting that slack on the surface so that I can allow the dry fly to naturally go along with the currents. Yeah, and then we think. Well, some people think then, let me make that happen underneath. You can't. Right. First of all, because there's weight. Second, because you can't see it under there. And third, because it's just a mess of, <laughs> of complex currents under there. You don't really know what's happening. Like I said, you're going to lose strike detection and bad things happen. Drag is what happens.
1: Yeah. I think you hit it right on. The, the big difference there between dry fly fishing uh, is that you get to see the fish eat the fly. Yeah. And, and there's yeah. a calculated amount of slack that you control when yeah. fishing that dry fly. I think often anglers are fishing with maybe more slack in their nymphing system than they realize, Mm. uh, especially when mending or, um, any of the things you just described, right? Because what you have to picture is your fly getting eaten down there in an instant, your nymph on the bottom. (sighs) And if you've got two or three feet, whatever it may be of slack built into that presentation, if that's a bobber, if that's a tight line, or if that's whatever it may be, you have to travel that distance plus enough, uh, for it to transfer, up to your rod tip, to your right. eyes to see it and hope that the fish still right. has that fly in its mouth that by the time you set the hook, you get a good hook set or the fly or the fish is still there. Uh, so it's, it's yeah, not what you want. You don't have that immediate feedback.
0: Right. That's a tough thing. And what you're kind of hoping will happen is the trout is going to eat the fly and just can't get it out of its mouth. Yeah.
1: Of course, they're trying to eject or, or it. Or run upstream or, or something. I, I, yeah. <laughs> that doesn't yeah, really help work you out. very well.
0: Yeah. Right. You're hoping the trout will help you out. Come along and hook itself. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> Probably half the trout we all catch, you know, are, are exactly like that. You know, half the ones the you catch. The trout eject those flies. <laughs> you don't catch that many, so. <laughs> the dumb ones. <laughs> we'll see this weekend. Bring your counter. My counter, my clicker. I got the secret egg pattern. Bring your uh, coffee brewing station. Oh, I could Let's do that. Let's do that. All right. Be a good day for it. It's going to be cold. Hey, so if we surrender to the fact that the flies are always under some influence, like we've been talking about, then why not lean into it? Let's talk about the good things that happen by choosing to have more influence. That's our choice more influence or less. What's the good stuff about having more influence?
1: More influence. It- more control over everything um we get yeah. to adjust things during the drift uh we get more immediate feedback we get uh faster hook sets um we can make more intentional movements and, and really it's all about that control we have it yeah the ability to like correct the position of the Yeah, hip. exactly we can change that
0: throughout the drift now of course this really lends itself to tight line concepts you know tight line nymphing good point those kinds of rigs you can do the most with that influence on a tight line but you can do a lot under an indicator by mm, deciding to have more control and influence as well um we're gonna talk about weight in a minute and that's a good way to do it all right but there are bad things that happen by choosing to have more influence too and trevor brought this up in one of our podcasts, he said, with great power comes great responsibility. <laughs> and I, and we said, we thought that was from Spider-Man. Uncle Ben, Spider-Man's Uncle yes. Peter Parker. Right. That's right. And I actually looked this up today. It's French author and philosopher Voltaire. Oh, 1700s. That's something yep. you'd be into. <laughs> yeah. I was an English major <laughs> and I remember reading some Voltaire. I could not tell you what I read. But there you go. Right? It's, it's true though. So Uncle Ben didn't. Didn't think of it himself, Austin. He's just a good reader. He's well read. I wish I was well read. You can be. It's up to you. Stop <laughs> hanging on me. rock walls and put a book in your hands.
1: I'm reading uh, Gearock. <laughs> nice. That's my oh, start yeah. at the classics. Not quite the Love canon, it. is it? Oh, yeah. For fishing, it is. Yeah, that's, that's true.
0: He's the best. You Come know,
1: Gearock. This is going to be a side tangent. When I read his work, it's almost like I didn't mm. know you could write the way he does. So I'm reading. Um, mm at the grave of the unknown fisherman. And it's mm-hmm. just simply him recounting memories and stories. And mm-hmm. when I opened the book, I had this, in like, maybe a, a Hemingway voice or this over-romanticized mm-hmm. description of, of fly fishing, but he's such a realist. And, and he's, mm-hmm. he writes like he's speaking to you, but he's got such good yeah. wit, it's so easy to read and relate to. I love that he's a fisherman.
0: Uh, yeah. I think he's a fisherman first, writer second. He'd probably say that. Many fishing writers through the years are uh, most of the well-known ones. They write a lot of travel stuff. Mm -hmm. And it just seems like, man, you were living large, weren't you? I mean, you're eating a really fancy dinner. You were at this lodge and you're taking a plane here and there. And Gero could tell you those stories. Yeah, absolutely. But it's, there's always like dirty hands in it. You know what I mean? Yeah. There's fish guts in it sometimes. Uh It's like, you know, it's, it's down and dirty fish and stuff. It's like pure fishing writing, but then he's very poetic about yeah. it.
1: And at the same time, I'm listening to Dumb Luck and Kindness of Strangers on my way to and from work, so I'm getting a double hitter. Oh, nice. And it's kind of the same recounting of stories, so it's it's really compiling. <laughs> but anyhow. Good for you. So,
0: I mean, that, that's a great guy to be reading, right? <laughs> yeah. Anyway, great power, great responsibility. And what we're saying is if you're going to choose to have more control over the system, you got to do the right things With that control, it is really easy to screw it up. Think about what I said just a couple minutes ago with, you know, 20 big rocks and a nice stretch of pocket water and all that, all those complex currents under there. It's easy to think, well, oh, okay, I'm going to bring the nymphs down. This is the right speed. I'm going to bring them down this speed. Or, oh, here's the lane. You don't have it. Yeah. You might think you do, but you don't. And that's probably why the fish aren't eating. Now, you absolutely can have it. It, the better you get at reading water, the more you know your system and the more, well, the more experience you have, the more you're going to say, eh, that isn't quite right. That nymph did not end up in the same lane. And then as you refine a seam and you try to get a better drift and you put it in the same water or in the same lane again and you go, okay, I need to get lower this time or slower, whatever it is, as you refine that seam, you start to go, okay, I finally got a good drift there. It didn't go the way I thought it would in the first couple drifts, but these last two drifts, I got them real nice and now I'll move on. Hmm. That's, uh, that's the responsibility, right? Like that's <laughs> what you have to do. Yeah. If you choose to have control, you got to do it right.
1: Right. It's, it, it is so easy to mess up. And, and going back to my previous point, I think a lot of times we have more slack in the system than we can realize. Yeah. So if, if we're trying to maybe uh, improve, it's my recommendation to start maybe overweighted or more indirect, or more influence, and yeah. slowly back off the influence, uh, either changing weights or changing tippets, whatever that may be. Um, but starting in a really direct line and then easing out of that just so slightly.
0: Yeah, I agree with you because there's bad things that happen when you try to have less influence. So we've kind of already touched on that because you're going to have slack under there. And then that slack is going to go in different ways. And the things we talked about when we were saying it, it should look more natural to have less influence. But we're, we're acknowledging it's not that easy, right? Neither way is easy, but I'm with you. And that is how I prefer to fish is with, I usually choose to have more control, but I think that I can do it well. And I, mm. I enjoy having more of that control and deciding, you know what? I'm going to get down sooner. I'm going to get lower sooner. Like we were talking about last week, am I low enough for long enough? Well, then I need to be in control of that system. If I, right now, like you said, the water's cold, And the trout are pretty much glued to the bottom. And it's a waste of time. The drop rate or the drop time is a waste of time. And so I need weight to get down sooner and not waste that time on the drop. And once it's down there, I need to control it then, or else it's going to keep dropping and all these things we've talked about. Anyway, I enjoy having that extra control because you said starting, you know, start out that way, but I continue. To enjoy that way most. That's cool. Even though I feel like I can do it otherwise.
1: Yeah, yeah. And I think that can be a really seasonal thing too. Like you just said, in the wintertime, Mm -hmm. getting slow, direct drifts on the bottom, especially like an Mm -hmm. egg. We talked about that last week. Yeah. Now, if you're in the middle of spring and there's an emergence going on, if there's bugs all over the column and they're eating really fast Mm -hmm. riffles, maybe it is best that you have a little bit of slack and you're just uh, tracking through and um, working that balance out. But uh, it comes and goes. It
0: does. And people know trout bitten by now. That's, that's kind of our thing is to be versatile. We love kind of doing it a lot of different ways and whatever works best for the moment. That said, you got to spend some time, you know, doing it both ways in this case. But boy, there's, there's just a lot. There's a lot in between all of this. And we're not here to really break down the specifics of exactly how we're going to make those casts and the drifts. Those are the skills. Mm-hmm. These are the concepts. It's almost, <laughs> it's kind of hard not to, Jump right into all those skills, and, you know, the the mechanics of <laughs> yeah. it all. You know, we'd like to talk through how to accomplish all that. But really, that's what we're trying to do is kind of this high level, just the concepts. Like, why would you choose to do these things? Um, you made a good point there about that is when I would choose to have less influence is when I don't mind having a longer drop time. There are lots of reasons. And where's the fish's focus? We touched on that a little bit last week. What level? of the water. It could be a deep piece of water and they happen to be chasing emerges all the way up to the top. Sure. There's good reasons for everything. So how can we have more or less influence over the flies? A couple more things to touch on here. This is important. How can we do it? We've been talking about it. We want to have more. We want to have less, but how do we do it? Yeah.
1: So let's go back to weight then. Weight either built into the flies, a split shot. Um, If we have heavier weighted flies, naturally we're going to feel uh, the resistance of those flies in our rod tip, in our hand, through the cord, then mm. um, we're going to feel a more direct influence. We, it's easier to have a more direct influence over the fly uh, that, we can, that we can really feel uh, when we have a heavy uh, rig on.
0: Yeah, and you don't need to feel it, and it doesn't need to be that heavy. A little extra weight just gives you a little more control, a little more influence. You're going to see that influence too on your indie. You'll see your indie. Settle hmm. down if you, have, if you have that in the game, right? But yeah, weight's the key thing to give you more control, to permit more control either to the indicator or to your raw tip, it's weight. Tippet diameter, we discussed that a little bit. One X is just going to have a lot more, well, influence over the system. It's going to kind of dominate the presentation if you pair it with the wrong flies. And with thinner diameter tippets, you can have less influence. That's fair.
1: Yeah. And then your intention. What are you actually trying to accomplish? Mm. What are the right. set of circumstances before you? It's any of those combinations of weight, of um, tippet diameter, of angle, of approach, of, of all of this stuff. You're going to have to make a calculated decision uh, mm. in how to approach that piece of water.
0: That's nice. The intention is a good point because you can take, I don't know, a heavier weight, like a number 10 uh, bead headstone mm-hmm. fly. Let's say it's 70 centigrams. Put it in, you know, a river that's, It's moving pretty good, like your river right now, or a few days from now, if we fish it. And that's, you're going to need something like that to get down. And let's say you get down, and then with intention, you can decide, I'm going to slip in and out of contact here. I'm going to let the river make the decisions for just like a a foot or two, and now grab that contact again, in and out, slipping in and out. Hmm. So throughout this conversation here, we've talked a lot about having control and influence over the flies. But... This conversation would be very incomplete without acknowledging the way that fishing different nymphing systems affects all of this. We've talked a bit about using a suspender or an indicator versus tightline stuff. And definitely, if you really want to have the most control, then the tightline system suits that better. You know what I mean?
1: I do. Um, If we go to a suspender style, we are surrendering some of that control what we're giving yeah. the control to is that suspension device. So we're going to be relying yeah. on the bobber to steer the flies and end up in the right mm-hmm. place and, and, right. and stall out or or slip contact. We can't really tell the bobber to slip contact. Uh, it's going mm-hmm. to do what it's going to want to do. But when we're on a tight line, we have that ability to adjust everything. You know, the movement, the contact, uh, the speed, depths, really whatever you want to do down there.
0: Yeah. On a tight line again. Great power, great responsibility. you got to do it the right way. That's up to you then. It's up to you and your rod tip. And then if, when you throw the suspender on there, and like you said with a bobber, that's going to have a different kind of control than a drive fly. Now, that's, right that's kind of a subtle point, and it does get into the, the details of how you rig things a little bit. But even a yarn indicator, for example, some, is kind of somewhere in the middle there. A bobber very much will tow the flies and have more influence over the nymphs than yarn. And dry flies real close. Depends on the, the rest of your rig and how much weight you have under right. there. Anyway, there's, there's plenty of room for having great control over things underneath an indicator. If especially you do, like you mentioned very early in his podcast about going tight line to an indicator style, or doing everything you can, even with your nine-foot leader and fly line, doing all you can uh-huh. to keep... As much influence off of that indie as possible. If you're good at that, then you can set things up, especially in the cast, to get everything in one lane. Then you can kind of trust the indie, and you can see the effect of the weight or the nymph on the indie. And you'll see that the indie being bossed around more by the fly than the surface current. When you do see that,
1: then you can really understand the control that that indie's having yeah. over the system. I think that's a really valuable point to say there's uh, a different style of control that we're we're grasping uh, when we go to that system instead. That's a really good way
0: to put it. Whether it's after a fishing trip or at a backyard fire, you can bet the Trout Bitten Crew has a case of new trail broken heels along with us. It's honestly our favorite beer. This hazy IPA is smooth and full-bodied. Hand-selected citra hops lead to notes of bright clementine and juicy ruby red grapefruit. Broken Heels is a keeper. New Trail beer is proudly brewed in Williamsport, Pennsylvania and delivered cold to your favorite craft beer retailer every week. At New Trail, it's not about being the best angler. It's about getting out there. So enjoy nature's moments and reward yourself for a day well-fished with New Trail Broken Heels. It's Troutbitten's favorite beer. Hey, anything else, Austin? You usually have something, but
1: All right, I've got, a, I've got a question then. Okay, all right. You know, we talked about the disadvantages of, of drifting with a lot of slack down there. How much slack do you think we can effectively control under the water? Well, doesn't that really
0: depend, you know, on the complexity of the currents? If it's a flat, uh-huh. you know, a real flat, slow section, you could get away with a lot more slack than... Um, that bouldered run that we've been talking about,
1: agreed, I do agree, so let me, all right, let me rephrase my question. Mm. instead of slack, let's just call it tippet under the water. let's mm. say there's tippet running somehow parallel to the riverbed for a few feet, not necessarily in big hoops and and bumps and that kind of slack, but simply just an mm. excess of tippet under the water that we are somehow controlling down there.
0: Is it all in one lane? If you're good enough. <laughs>
1: That's what I was going to say. <laughs>
0: it so often comes back to that. If it's in one lane, I, you can have quite a bit of slack. You can really slip that contact out of contact. I don't know, like a foot. I'm not quite sure how you measure that exactly. Mm-hmm. Because we hard start to, to think, like, well, if there's two feet of... Right, it is hard to picture. You start to think if, if there's two feet of slack under there, then how does it kind of be in the same... Lane really, and isn't it gonna kind of loop or whatever, like mm-hmm. you said. It and it is, I think. At that point, it is almost fair to think to bring in that dry fly analogy, right? And you can see, you know, some slack on the water if you got the light angles right and everything. You can see swirls and S curves. If you put that underneath the water, mm. it gets messy. I don't think it's a good idea. I'd say almost almost none, Austin. I'd say like two, three, four, five, six inches is tolerable under there. Everything else is just gonna get messy. And I don't see a good reason to do it. What do you think? How much can you get away with more than that?
1: I think I'm pretty much right there with you. It's just something I think about. Um, mm-hmm. Because I know I used to fish with a lot of slack. <laughs> yeah. And I, I would miss a lot of, of strikes where I would have next to no control over those flies where I would go to pick my flies up out of the water and I think they should be coming from over here when actually they're coming out way over there. Or mm-hmm. I set the hook and I, I think my flies are in one location, but it's actually mm-hmm. four feet off on the, other, on the next drift. So to mm-hmm. me, I think just by the principle of it, with drifting as little controlled slack as I can, is, is my guiding light. Mm. But I just often get curious about, well, how much could I really tolerate down there? <laughs> I do. I guess I would
0: wrap this up by saying that I'm, when I'm out there, I'm thinking about this one a lot. How much control? How much influence do I really want to have over my nymphs or the split shot? And again, I could be using a heavier system, like with that stonefly I said. And I'm still thinking, do I want to, how much do I want to slip contact? That, that's a very key thing yeah. if, when you're on the tight line system. That's why we've talked about it so often. But then again, when I throw the indie on, I'm thinking the same thing. I want everything in one lane. But then, how much contact do I want to force? Again, with more weight, you can kind of force that contact. If you lighten things up and thin up your tippet, and maybe don't use a bobber but use a, use yarn, you can really get a lighter system out there underneath an indicator that drifts quite a bit different with less control, you know, less contact. Let's say to the indie, let's uh-huh. less firm contact to the indie. It's different, man, and so. When I'm not catching fish, it's one of the first things I think about. Well, maybe I should stop having so much influence over the flies. Let me try a tracking system. We're going to talk about that. You know, in in an episode coming up, we're going to talk about something we call tracking, which is a lot less influence over the Mm -hmm. flies. Absolutely. All right, there it is. More influence or less. Remember, there's a lot of wiggle room in between these concepts. And a lot of the skills that we've covered throughout all of these podcast seasons cross over and dovetail perfectly into these critical nymphing concepts. So, our goal this season is to highlight these concepts. These are the reasons why we might drift one way or another and why we might make changes to the presentations. But I don't want you to feel like we've left you hanging either. Troutbitten is a really wide resource full of answers to probably most of the questions you might have right now. Perhaps the most applicable series that I haven't yet mentioned is a short three part series that I published to Troutbitten a few years ago. That's called leading versus tracking versus guiding the flies. And the skills highlighted in those articles are the perfect companion for what we just talked about in this podcast. It's all about having more influence or less. I'll leave links to those articles and a bunch of other resources for you, as I always do, in the show notes for this podcast. Remember, too, that each podcast has a home in a companion article on the Trout and website. And those same links to more resources are there for you to look through. Nymphing is a lot of fun. So Captain Austin Bandel, <laughs> will you read us out? Aye, aye. you like it.
1: <laughs> all right. So remember, the Trout Good. Bitten Project is a free resource for all anglers. The Trout Bitten website hosts over 1,000 articles with endless stories, commentaries, tactics, tips, and more. Find what you like through the top menu and through the search page. Navigate by way of the categories and the tags, too. Be sure to find the Trout Bitten YouTube channel. Now featuring the Trout Bitten Tip Series, the Fish and Film Series, and the Trout Fly Box, all in collaboration with Wilds Media. That guy's good. Thank you for listening to the Trout Bitten Podcast. Please give the show a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify and leave a comment because it really helps. Until next time, friends, fish hard. Enjoy the day and find your life on the water. If you're good enough, you're ship captain.
0: I like doing this with a beer better. <laughs>